Okay, here we go. The Pen and Maggie Show. He's about to get crazy and wild. Stay for a while. Don't touch your radio the dial. The Pen Show. Kicking it back. Sports talk. Listen to that and stay tuned for some giggles and last go. <laughs> Welcome to the Pen and Mikey Show. Here we are, episode 16. We are like grooving through space and time. 16 of these puppies already. And uh, God, it's like falling off a log. As I get older, I lose my, I think my eccentricity is, is now surpassed my electricity. <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, it's a time, time marches on. We have a guy here who's uh, Chad Finn. He's a, he's a columnist. I'm not going to say you're a writer, although you are. Yeah, I'm all of those things. Columnist is the proper terminology. Uh, ben Kitchen, of course, right over there. Yes, sir. You guys know each other. Smitty running the board over here. We got the whole crew here. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? That's what I'm here for. I'm good. The very first thing I thought of was this guy, Chad Finn, he's a black bear. I am a black bear. You used to call me Hack Finn. I, I did once. Just once. I loved it. I wasn't even that <laughs> it was pissed. perfect. You know, what you said about me wasn't even that bad. It what was, did he say about I don't know. That, that I talk about Manny too much or something. I don't, it, was, it wasn't even that bad. Probably was a Manny defense. I was good at that. You like Manny. I do like Manny. To this day, you like Manny. I do. I liked him, too. I mean, it was wildly entertaining. I just thought that for $20 million a year, a guy should just at least try to play some defense. Yeah, maybe run the bases a little. Yes. He has 20 career triples. This is my pet peeve with Manny Ramirez. I'm going to jump right in. (laughs) He he has 20 career triples. Like, as a power hitter with a high batting average, you should have at least 50. And he wasn't that slow as a runner. He just... Took his time. Yeah, second base is comfortable. Comfortable. <laughs> I love triples. Here's my black bear news of the day. Did you hear about this? No. Dateline, Concord, New Hampshire. Let me get my reading glasses on. Oh, Christ. It's almost time to take down those bird feeders. The New Hampshire Fish and Game Department urges residents to remove their bird feeders because they're worried about hungry black bears. You yes. Know, you know any? Yeah, me. And you worked in Concord yourself, didn't you? I did, for nine years. Let me ask you this question right off the top. All right. Does a wild bear really shit in the woods? It, it does in Concord. I know that. <laughs> now, did you, when you went to Concord and worked there, did you ever go to Franklin Pierce's grave? I did not. <laughs> no. I did. <laughs> there wasn't much to do there, but I skipped that. <laughs> I swear to God, I did. I, I brought a, uh, a bottle of port wine and a half a joint. All right, well, you had something to bring with you. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to find out precisely what he did that made him so ill-respected by all his men. So Chad writes about the media in uh, a little paper called the Boston Globe, mm-hmm. in a little a little website called boston.com. Uh, how's that going for you? Any, any material lately? Yeah, there's never anything in Boston to talk about. No, no. <laughs> There's never any upheaval between the two sports stations. No, I mean it's ridiculous in a way that uh, you know you go to go to the Super Bowl, go to one of these big events, and you see the big sports radio station from another market, and they're like eighth in their market, and they're happy about it, and they're ranking and ratings. And you come here, and it's if you finish third, you're uh, you're miserable. You're, you're a loser, right? Yeah. Uh, I I have a uh, a theory as to why it was such a quick road to success. For 98.5, the sports hub. And it was quick. I mean, it was bing, bang, boom. It's like a Buster Douglas quick. Um, The biggest, I think, tell me if you agree with this. The biggest mistake that Intercom made on a corporate level in this marketplace 
was waiting to jump off of AM yeah. onto FM. Yeah. No, absolutely. That was it. Um, you know, and I, I think they got a little overconfident when 1510 didn't work, even though they had Celtics rights. But you can get 1510 outside of the Zacom. I was there. You know? Yeah. I mean, ask, you know, ask uh, Grandy and Max about how people were listening to the Celtics games at that time. But, right. You know, you uh, they were pretty smug because of their success. Maybe they had the right to be, but they, they weren't braced for a challenger. Well, and there was that other ESPN, uh, the one Felger was on. The tried ninety, to, yeah, yeah, tried to tried to tackle them, uh, and that failed as well. So you know, yeah, they were the king of the AM hill, but when when ninety eight five said, well, you know, and the news got out that they were going to have a sports station, if I'm running the show, I say, wait a minute, that's my Fort Knox right there. I'm going to go on FM. I'm going to take Mike FM and destroy it tomorrow. <laughs> You know, and say no. We're going tomorrow. It's yeah, I can't remember what the time frame was, but it wasn't that long after because the ratings flipped pretty quick. Yeah, right away. I mean, they did. They weren't number one the first uh, ratings period, but they might have been the second. It was quick. It, it took no time at all, and it, it. I mean, Ben's a young guy. How old? You, how young are you, Ben? Early thirties. I, I know. I asked you that last week too. Asshole. I just get confused. <laughs> Fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> Why do you ask? Well, the reason I ask is because, it, given the choice, is there anybody, uh, even 40 years old, that, that wouldn't prefer to have their sports talk or anything that they're listening to on FM as opposed to AM? Oh, a- no one listened to AM. That's right. The only, there was a small fraction of people my age in like high school that would listen to EEI. A very small fraction. Right. And that was probably because our dads listened to it. Everyone else... There were music stations, CDs in their cars. No one was listening to AM radio whatsoever. It's surprising, really, that they lasted as long as they did on AM. Well, I, I was at Clear Channel at the time at KISS 108, and they were even saying, what's EEI doing? Why are they not going over? They have 93.7 just sitting there kind right. of. It's right. making some money, and it's a low-cost station, but why aren't they going over there to compete? And that was before 98.5 even actually launched. Yeah, and, and they were well aware of it. I remember talking to Jason Wolf about it for years leading up to that. Uh, I think it was 2012 where it actually happened. And uh, well, when they flipped over and it was, well, you know, we got a great signal on 850, which they, they did for <laughs> an AM signal, yeah. <laughs> but but it was not, brutal. not as good as they thought it was. Framingham, where I lived, where yeah. I was growing up. You, it was very spotty in that town. Right. It's a town of 75,000 people. Right, and you can't have a successful so sports You could get it in Bar Harbor, Maine, though. <laughs> I right, tweeted about coast. that once, and John Dennis flipped out on me. What for? I don't know. What was his pit? Yeah, I never was, was really sure. <laughs> was he drunk? <laughs> but isn't that a good thing? <laughs> what time of the day did he tweet at you pissed? Uh, it was early. Yeah, oh, maybe. So, yeah, he was definitely drunk. Yeah. Well, he gets up early. Yeah. Um, the early lineup of, of 98.5, I'm trying to think now when that happened, because a lot of the talent from that station kind of learned the business or – you know, ate at the ample milk teat of Glen Ordway, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> I mean, you know, they like Tony Maz. You by know, the way, ample milk teat's going to show up in a column. <laughs> Tony Maz, by the way, still, and he's been very successful. He with Felger, uh, but is there any doubt that he has the worst voice in the history of radio? It's not a great radio voice. I mean. Yeah, no, they had they had other options there. They wanted Lou. I think Mike Reese auditioned for it at the time, and then you know Maz got it, and he was a serious candidate all along. Yep. But it was uh, 
It was pretty clear from the beginning it was an uneven uh, situation there. It's amazing that with the, the decibels and the you know the alto soprano <laughs> voice that he has. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, I, it's like if Mickey Mouse got a radio job, that's how he would sound. And I'm not look. He's been he's done very well, a hell of a lot better than me. And he, I always respected him as a writer. And uh, does he get his hair transplant yet? No, he, don't look like it. He should call Doctor Robert <laughs> Leonard at one eight hundred Get Hair when he gets around to that. And Felger, of course, had had three or four runs at it with Glenn. Yeah, he got his reps in <laughs> in yeah. and around Glenn. In one way or the other. But, you know, Glenn really launched a lot of people. Well, Felger uh, and Maz were regulars on the big show at that point in time. Because I feel like the big show had a lot of different incarnations where it was really successful. And, like, uh, Callahan and, you know, the Globe guys are still allowed on. So Shaughnessy would be on. Right. Jackie Mack would be on. Sure. Uh, then Board just kind of ruined that for everybody. And, uh, <laughs> it, you know, then you get, like, the Bill Burt, Larry Johnson days. And then it, he kind of found a next generation of people. I think Maz was, was really good on that show. Felger was pretty good, but he came on fairly late. Yep. Um, but uh, those those two guys really benefited from being on there. The big show, which ended, uh, I always thought that, you know, that brand was so well established. And I know the, 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 whole, the whole not going off AM, going to FM thing you know, may, may have been part of the a killing blow for the big show. Uh, but why not have Glenn stay there? Throughout? The answers to all the problems that EIs had when they tried to get younger was to bring back the old guys. You know, Dale for a while was persona non grata. Look at it now. Jerry's still on in the morning, Dale in the afternoon, right. and Glenn, Glenn in afternoon drive. This is the same as 1997, right? Yeah. I mean, the we don't only have thing a... missing is me at night. And the fabulous sports babe. <laughs> I could do a show with her. You don't want to. <laughs> I, I could be the bookmark that keeps her organized. Um, it was a frightening transition, though, because I mean, EEI dominated for so long. You know, and they made huge money billing. And of course, there was going to be another station that came and said, uh, I think there's room for two, you know, a competitive, especially if, if they're on FM. It was yeah. just boom, instant. Yeah. Well, what do you think it was? I mean, to me, it was complacency and arrogance. That they weren't going to get beaten even if they had remained on AM, and uh, they got a pretty close, pretty realistic eye opener there very quick after ninety eight five launch. They said, "All right, now we got to go to FM." But <laughs> Duh, yo. you know, I think they Glenn, should have anyway. They had a meeting though at, at Intercom. Were you at that meeting when they? No, no, I wasn't there yet. Oh, you weren't there yet? No, no. Well, I got Dave, there and David is only in his early thirties. <laughs> I, I got there and inherited Ordway and Holly. I, oh, big right. show's already right. done. You know, David, that was that very wasn't... organically put together, that, that pairing. Whew, yeah. David Field had a meeting. It was <laughs> across at uh, WGBH. We used their uh, their auditorium. But, eh, all the intercom employees. David Field's going to talk to us all. And, and Glenn, this is before uh, there was a switch to sports on 98.5. Glenn said, he raised his hand and said, when are we going to go on to FM? And brought that up way before there was ever a crisis over that. And oh, poo poo, you know. David Field did? Yeah. Huh. He poo pooed it. He poo pooed it. Yeah, he said, well, we got, you know, <laughs> we got this number and that number and bing, bang, boom. But uh, it changed drastically once uh, 98. Now, let me ask you some. Uh, why don't we throw some names out here? And Ben and, and uh, Chad and me will just <laughs> give some our thoughts on different guys that are employed in the radio industry, sports radio. What do you think? Go ahead. Yes. All right. Don't start with Mutt. 
because then you'll never get a word in edgewise. <laughs> uh, let's go with hey, let's go with Andy Gresh. What did you think of him? I didn't think he was quite as bad as some people thought he seemed to be, but man, he could be such an asshole on the air and and unbearable to listen to at times. But yep. there were some times about it, sometimes that I thought he was was not that bad and he could be serviceable. But whew. he pissed off everybody behind the scenes, and that was his downfall. The way the way he treated people, um, I think it got to the point where even Zolak, you know, was like, "All right, I've I've had about enough of this." Yeah, and. No, I think another thing there, too, was probably that he kind of carried himself on the air like he was those equal in terms of football experience. You know, oh, was wow. All-conference at Rhode Island, Yankee yeah. Conference, <laughs> uh, nine years in the NFL as a backup quarterback and yeah. a pretty respected guy by his coaches. And, and I think that got a little old, too. Just yeah. uh, oh, that, rumblings. That, brutal. that stuff was brutal because he would make yeah. it sound like he was an All-American lineman. It's like, uh, right, you were right. a jag at a nothing school, essentially. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Jeez, now I feel free to say what I was going to say about him. I mean, I think he was elite, a, he was at least a, Keith they, doesn't take his college football seriously. You know, that, that's, did he play too? Yeah. Where'd he play? I forget. <laughs> See? I think he was a some upstate giant, New York school. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hobart, was it or something? Yeah, 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 Hobart. Hobart. I think Gresh was a giant, <laughs> bloviating, bag-o-smash... With a mouth. Did you ever work with him? No. Just totally from hearing that. I think I worked with him on a couple of TV uh, episodes at, at uh, Comcast. You know, uh, I was on with him. How'd you but fit on the screen? He was just a, annoying, you know, to be around. He just seemed like a jerk. Yeah. That's everything I've always heard about him. All right, let's go with Lou Maloney. You want to go first? <laughs> do you read my Twitter? <laughs> I absolutely do. By the way, he's a good follow, at Chad Finn. Uh, you know, you're thoughtful. I'm thoughtful. Oh, you're thoughtful on your Twitter. Yeah, you can be a snarky tw- asshole at times. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's amusing. Nice that, that requires thought, and, and <laughs> he's very thoughtful in his. Uh, he doesn't just write his tweet and just throw it out there. He, he thinks about it. Yeah, I do, and then I run off for a while. Like la- last time, I got in a fight with Lou. I went on vacation for a week afterwards. I timed it perfectly. You did. Yeah. Oh, it's like throwing a club punch. You get in there, throw the punch. You back away. Let the crowd suffer. Uh, close in around you, and <laughs> yeah. you're now, gone. But are these guys in this market thin-skinned? Yeah, and. Uh, uh, you know, the, I mean, there's a lot at stake in terms of the just the ratings, what your bonus is from being one to not being one. Uh, you know, that means a lot to them, and they want the perception out there that they're number one, even though they aren't. Um, and I'm an easy target for that because I'm the one reporting the numbers. Reporting the numbers, yeah. Yeah. Now, um, the, the argument with you has always been from their side of, of things is, well, you're not counting the Internet. <laughs> You, you don't count Providence. I, you know, I even gave them that, too. I do count Providence. Uh, they don't like that I acknowledge that this is Providence. But, you know, I, I feel like I'm fair. And then I get it from the 98.5 side that uh, you shouldn't count Providence. And then I go to Nielsen, and they say, eh, I don't know. I guess you could count Providence, or maybe not. So that, you know, there are absolutely no help. So you have to have a disclaimer in there now with all explaining that you do both. So many goddamn disclaimers on everything. You wouldn't believe it. But I try to just get it out there. If you read the one I write about the ratings, it's the facts. It's just and the ratings period from blah, blah, blah to blah, blah, blah. And men 2554, blah, blah was first. Blah, blah. But they think you have a horse in the race. I have no horse. Maybe if I was on one of the stations. I've never been on either of the stations except podcasts i've been on kirk's twice right. i think yeah, when we, you were the producer we, we brought you in there yeah and uh i was on with alex spear for some super nerdy baseball thing we did 
when he was the DEI. Oh, that was the, the minor league Yeah, that was thing. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually, it was kind of a popular podcast, and that company just refused to embrace it for so long until Kirk actually decided to speak up and wanted to do something else. What was that? Kirk's podcast? Well, they just didn't give a shit about podcasting for oh, so long. Yeah, and yeah. didn't do thing. anything, and they just dismissed it like it was 98.5 going on FM, which is something podcasting make tremendous amounts of money, as you know. Until Kirk finally spoke up and said, here, I, I'll do this. Maybe it was a contract ploy. I don't know what it was, but finally they took it Well, it wasn't long before you extent. looked up and it was number one or two on iTunes. And no, it was debuted. Rock, was it number one? Debuted yeah. number one. Yeah, it was yep. a huge success. Well, it's good to have good. you know a, a highly rated sports radio show from which to promote a podcast. I, I wish I had one. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact is that uh, I think one hand washes the other in that regard, and clearly podcasting now is a... A vastly different uh, frontier. If people people know how to do it, they know what it's about. How, how much from a listenership? Even if they don't know how to do it, they get paid from it. That's it. Right, there Mike? Go. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> but it's uh, from the perspective of look. Do I? If I'm driving in the morning, and there's an entertaining podcast that I can listen to in my car, off my phone, or what have you, instead of listening to Mutt Muttnansky, you know, on the way to work. Of course, I'm going to choose that. You know. Do you not like Mutt? Do you know him? Yeah. Actually, I worked with him. I, I worked with Mutt a little bit. Uh, I'm going to just say this because I, I like to be honest on these podcasts at all. I mean, at all costs, I'm going to tell you how, what, I, how, what I really think. Least talented person I've ever worked with in 45 years of radio. Was he really? The least talented. Now, did he know his sports? Sure. Did he pay attention to the numbers and the stats and the Internet? Yeah. Yes. Does that make him interesting or listenable to me? No. Not at all. So you're surprised he's on in Morning Drive now? Well, I, I am, except that, you know, at the time, Kirk had all the power on that radio program, and, you know, Mutt's nose was deeply embedded in Kirk's grundle. So, and by the way, he's Kirk's only friend. Of course he's going to end up on that show. I don't think anyone thought he would be taking over when Kirk left, because that's just like, yeah, here you go, kid. It's the Apollo 11. You're driving. What does that tell you about the ability to to develop talent around here to find actual radio talent? That someone Kirk who came out of nowhere, for whatever you think of him, he came off from arguing with Jack Edwards right. on the weekends to have the website having a lot of success. Um, yet you they, can't. They don't have a plan B. Yet they don't try and replicate that. Well, a lot you, of people you, on the station try to be him. But no, they no, no. Can't. But as a company, you look at it and go, we cultivated this guy sort of he did it they didn't cultivate him really let's be honest he did it on his own and i'll yeah. give him that credit right and he worked at it and figured it out from the weekend working up and what have they ever tried to replicate that since is mark james that guy because <laughs> i don't think so but no. seriously you, you find a path to success you try and go down that path again and they haven't gone down that path again it doesn't that say that he, he neither actually station, had some he had some way. talent yeah, there. Right. But neither station has gone down that path. Well, Tried never to really capitalize on the guys they had on weekends. Like, how about they try something new with Larry Johnson? Make it drunk, Larry Johnson. You know, or nude, Craig Mustard. He sounds bad. I, I listen to that show. I mean, he's just he's slowed down even more. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to listen to. Yeah. I worry. I worry for Mustard. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's weird. I worked with uh, Mustard. At 5.90 a.m., W-E-E-I, 1993, Phil Serkin was the program director, and we worked out of the Schraff Center. 
Did you have Janet Prensky with you? No, she was. She was I never saw her. But we did a, a fill-in morning show. I was working at Neckin. You know, they pulled me in to do this thing. And boy, it was so uncomfortable and so weird. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it wasn't even like radio. It was like two, two like we'd never met before. You know? And he's doing the sports thing and trying to keep the thing on the road. And I'm already riding off the trails because I was pretty messed up back in the 90s. <laughs> but in the, the 80s. Yeah. In the 70s. But, but, but clean now, though. But the, the fact is that. That was AM radio 590, 1993, WEEI stuff, and it sucked. It sucked, you know? And they made the move to 850 and went to Huntington Avenue. Things got better. I think when Glenn took over as a program director. Was think, that for Eddie? Things got better. He took over for Eddie, right, and, like, fired Eddie's son. And, well, uh, he, Eddie wasn't the PD. Uh, he was a... Uh, no, it was, it was Phil Serkin. And, and then, I, I don't know, maybe Smitty knows. Smitty, who was the PD after uh, Before Phil Glenn. Serkin? Who was it? Was it, was it Bev Tilden? <laughs> Is that a golfer? No, 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 no. It was a, it was a okay. stupid-ass WEI inside <laughs> no. joke. So the five people that have worked yeah. at EI in the 90s right. that listen will right. know that. Well, we That's were, it. Minute, we were throwing names out, and we got stopped at Lou Merlone. All right, Glenn now. Ordway, then. Well, right. I, I didn't hear you on Lou. Lou? Uh, I think he was a heck of a... Utility guy? 271 career hitter. Better than people give him credit for. 271, local product, Framingham boy. Yep. I, I never had any issues with him. I never had any arguments with him. But I've seen him get a little testy on Twitter with some people. Yeah, he likes to call me a liar. And uh, Are you a liar? What did he say you lied about? Oh, I could say takes one to no one, but that would be look, <laughs> make me look bad, too. I, I, I'm, I'm telling the truth. There, I guess there are different versions of it that people might want to believe. Now, but, was uh, that on ratings? or That was on, uh, it was weird. It was on this uh, Night of a Million Stars broadcast they're doing for the Red Sox, where I, I was going on vacation. I knew something was coming, so I wanted to report that what they were going to do. So I reported, as I wrote, what I knew, which was they were going to hire a bunch of people. Uh, Mario and Pemba, Lou would be a part of it. Oh, right. Um, you know, I knew six or seven. I knew Tom Cameron was going to be on. I'd heard Berman, couldn't confirm it, so I didn't write it because I mm-hmm. thought it was so stupid it couldn't possibly be true, but it is. <laughs> uh, and Lou flipped out on me about uh, writing that. And but why? What was I, his reason? You were accurate? I don't know. I don't know if he didn't want it out or if he thought I had something. He was trying to imply I had it wrong, but they sent out a press release the next day that right. basically confirmed everything. It had names I didn't know, but I, I didn't know them. So I'm trying just trying to figure out what he was pissed about. If it was he likes to fight with me on Twitter, I think it's probably gives him a good image. Okay, good for business. Whose fans are a bigger pain in your ass? You know, when you write the column, you read the from the, you both read the stations, comments, Twitter. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's necessarily the fans. It's just basically Lou usually. <laughs> <laughs> so the people you write about, the people who are on the air, are the ones that that give you the most shit. Yeah, it's Lou. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, or, no, Ordway stirs the pot. You know, Fourier uh, jumps in and and uh, you know, Giddily gets his shots in. But he's he's generally been a. a I think he's a pretty good guy. Now, what about the other general. station, Touch and Rich? Do they? Uh... You know, they just ignore all of it. They do. Yeah, I, I Grash used to get pissed at me, um, but. You know, I've never really heard. Felger doesn't pay any attention to it. You know, they've, they've been number one for like nine years or whatever it is. Like, so they can just let it go off their back like water. Maz off a duck. is sensitive. He is. He, yeah, he's gotten, he's gotten pissed at me before. I said all that about what his voice. What did he get pissed over? Um, 
giving him shit about certain things. Just uh, more, not radio things, more sports things. You know, like the uh, Sony Michelle sucks and blows thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, kind of went viral. Um, <laughs> I had a Every, hand in that. Everybody went after him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he things like that, he get he he th- he's thought I was out to get him, which I'm not. I worked with him, and, and I like him personally. Yeah. But if he says something stupid that's trolling, uh, you know, I'm going to point it out. You know, you have to do that, but you but the, you're not. I've never noticed that you single out an individual and go after them, like say you know Kirk would do on the air about somebody. No, not really. It's more about you know what the numbers are or what's going on on a particular show. If something really annoys me, I'll mention it. But uh, really, I mean, Lou goes at me a lot, and that show does a little bit more. And um, Dino used to do all the time, which is just amusing. I mean, that was just funny. He was so easy to piss off. Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> oh, you know him, too. Yeah, I do. <laughs> See, here's the weird thing about me in the radio business in Boston. Uh, 19, 20, 26 years, I think I've worked with everybody at that radio station at one time or another on one show or another. Even Dale. Dale never liked me. Dale? It's not personal. I don't think he hated my guts as a human. He just didn't like my style on the air or whatever. Uh, and You weren't deferential enough to Ray Bork. I love Ray Bork, but I didn't. I wouldn't defer all the time on the air. No, you're right. I didn't grow out my eyebrows, you know, and join the the fan club. But Dale, for some reason, he his sense of humor is a little bit milk toast. You know, it's just a he's when it comes to being slightly blue on the air and or any of that stuff, he's a pussy. Dale is, but I never had any individual problems with him as a person. We never he never mistreated me or anything. You know, it wasn't like a Kirk thing. You know, uh, now did Kirk go after Dale at all? Because I'm trying to think. The scorecard with Kirk, he went after. He Glenn lit up Hardway. that show a lot, but it was yeah. more rich Keith a little. I Keith, think. yeah, Holly. He went after Holly for a while. I know he went after me. He went after. Uh, he got well. He got John Ryder fired, so Mutt could have the night job. And then, of course, I got fired, so Mutt could have the night job. And then somebody <laughs> in the morning show got fired. John Dennis, so Mutt could have the morning job. And then. Kirk Minahan got fired so much could have the morning job. So you're saying there's a uh, uh, chain of command here or something. <laughs> there's something going on there. You know, I, do they camp? Do they go out camping? <laughs> but anyway, uh, Glenn Ordway. Why are you looking at me? Ben worked with him. I worked with him, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I like Ordway. I love Ordway. I do, too. I, I think the Ordway-Holly experiment was terrible uh, because— It wasn't comfortable. Well, it, you're not playing to Glenn's strength. Glenn needs a couple ring people leader. around him yeah. to be the ringleader, yeah. and it's always what I've fought with him. He, he's not—he's better at doing a solo show than he is doing with one other partner. I can and, see that. And I think he always— I think he always needs whoever's in the room to kind of really pay attention to what he's trying to say. And, right. And Holly's not always necessarily paying attention to that. He's kind of formulating his own thing. So it didn't And it's work. a thoughtful thing from Holly, but it doesn't necessarily fit the flow of – I mean, you're talking about an air – Glenn is an air traffic controller, really. When he, when he was yeah. doing the big show, in the prime of that show, he was moving stuff around and, and pointing at people. You Now you go, and it was it was great. I like Glenn very much. Um a loyal, a loyal fan of his uh, overall. Now there are things about him that are weird. You know, his he's, size. He's fat. He's not tall. He's round. He he has a giant head. But I, that's just physical stuff. We all have weird physical problems. You know, like this corn husk growing out of my ear. 
But I, I just like the guy, and uh, I think he's been very, very good, obviously, in a survivor, Chad. Yeah, he's a survivor. Is that a good thing? I mean, sometimes people survive just because they kiss ass for 20 years. Yeah, I don't think that's, mm-hmm. that's his. I don't have anybody in mind there. <laughs> Not yet. I have uh, a, a brief moment here to talk about Dr. Robert Leonard at 1-800-GET-HAIR. Now, why do I talk about this all the time? Well, I'm paid handsomely. Uh, no, actually, I had it done in 2003, right before I married my bride. She's now my bride of 16 years. Yep, she just turned 16. <laughs> No, I kid. Uh, 1-800-GET-HAIR is the number to call to get yourself a free, no-obligation appointment with uh, Dr. Matthew Lepresti or Dr. Robert Leonard and the folks. They have six offices throughout New England, and they will restore your hair on a permanent basis. They're scientists. They're doctors. They're gentlemen. They're, their nurses are not gentlemen. They're, they're wonderful people down there. And if you give them a call and tell them Mikey sent you, they'll have you in for that no-obligation consultation to see what you can do about your baldness. It's Dr. Robert Leonard, Leonard Transplant Associates, 1-800-GET-HAIR. Thank you very much. I haven't lost it, have I? <laughs> I can still do the live reads, Chad. How come you never wrote a column about me? Because <laughs> you called me Hack Finn. I did that one time. <laughs> and that was a pretty good line, though. It was perfect. You I know. couldn't do anything but laugh. I, I think I was so driving you know, home, too. You're not a my hack. whole family loved it. You're not, <laughs> you're not a hack. And I, I'm, I say this now because of three years removed from the radio business, and I followed you on Twitter all this time. You know, you're... Again, I think you're fair. I think you're thoughtful. You don't just you don't you're not vindictive, nasty about. We it. have but the same axes to grind. <laughs> That's probably true too. <laughs> they match up, but people don't uh, you know don't realize how hard that is to do with a bunch of thin skinned radio egomaniac egomaniacal uh, people mm-hmm. that talk mm-hmm. for a living uh, out there who just respond instantaneously to the slightest insult. I mean, you you probably are so sick of that shit. Well, there's a whole other element to it now with social media because you you go on there and search Kirk Minahan's name, you'll five, find 500 parody accounts trying to uh, appeal to him or you know appease him or right, right. win favor with those shows, and uh, so they've all got their own little army now. I don't know what your army looked like, but uh, theirs come after me. Well, and... it, was, it was all women. <laughs> I figured angry women. <laughs> um, I didn't have a very big army. We had you know, but I was there. 11 years on that night show, we had a good loyal audience. People would criticize me and say, well, oh, he just goofs around and he doesn't get into the nitty-gritty. To me, the nitty-gritty is boring. You know, the constant analysis of numbers, the, the, the hot takes that everybody's already said 10 times on the station that day, and then you just, you know, regurgitate it or echo it at night. No, I thought at night people get out of work. You know, we'll basically just fuck off for four or five hours. We'll have fun, talk about sports, but it's not brain surgery. Well, it's authentic too. You don't get a lot of that. I had now. no choice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to read all that. Too shit. dumb to fake it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it's just like let's have a good time. That's kind of the way I right. looked at it. You know, and and that's what they asked me to do when they when they hired me for that job was to was to do that. In it. But there's people who are so redundant. Ben, you've heard them. The takes. You've heard the same person said the same thing this morning at 9 a.m., and then he says it, another guy says it at 1 o'clock on both stations. Then at 3, they start with it, and they, it's like, how long are you going to talk about the same topic? Uh, once I get to 12 hours, I want to move on to something. Not that. They're talking about each other now. Didn't used to do that, you know? Right. It, each not... other is the topic. Yeah. Which makes it even stupider. 
Um, now, you're a hardcore Red Sox guy? Yeah. The first year as a fan was 78, so, you know. You know, I know, I'm not bragging here, but Ben knows I'm the smartest man alive. Uh, I know everything about the 78 Red Sox. I know every player. I know their uniform numbers. I know where they batted in the lineup. And I'm all, the same applies to 67. 78, too, though. Huh? Yep. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Ask me any question, Moses. Uh, Go ahead. Why didn't they have a better outfielder other than Gary Hancock? Well, Gary Hancock only played at the. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Bowen. They had. You're talking about the the the, the scruff there, the, the people who barely got into the lineup. Now, I will say this about Bobby Sproul. <laughs> he was the control pitcher, the lefty. He's the lefty they brought in instead of Bill Lee. Instead of Bill Lee to pitch, who was 12 and five. By the way, uh, this is this. Will, I'm starting to get the adjective from this now. They pitched Don Zimmer pitched Bobby Sproul instead of Bill Lee. And by the way, the Red Sox ended up tying the Yankees last day of the season. If he had pitched Bill Lee when Bobby Sproul pitched, they would have won the day before. They wouldn't have had that fucking playoff with Bucky fucking Dent and his fucking borrowed bat from Mickey fucking Rivers. And that shit wouldn't have happened. And no, and Bob Bailey, and they get rid of Bernie Carbo, and the Red Sox don't pinch hit drive in a run for the rest of the year because Beetle Bob fucking Bailey's on the team? Don Zimmer's drinking, buddy? <laughs> Fuck them! I'm oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I don't think you're ever going to get over Mutt. You're still banging on about a baseball team from 1978. <laughs> uh, that was the best baseball team the Red Sox ever had. 99 wins with Zimmer. I mean, are you kidding me? How the Hall of Famers? Eckersley, Yaz, Fisk, Rice. Should have been Freddie Lynn, maybe? Tian. Maybe Dwight Evans? Louis Tian should be in the Hall of Fame? So they had four, and they had three that should be. Best team ever. That's yep. when you started? Were you yep. just a young guy then? I was eight. Yeah. Eight Best old. player on the team was Hobson, though. Butch is oh, my guy. Clell. Clell Laverne Hobson. Yep. It's... Dive into the bat rack, catch a pop-up, yep. and then fling it. Uh, and play the whole of... season with bone <laughs> chips floating in his elbow with 49 errors. <laughs> the thing about Clell was he was a quarterback at Alabama. I've heard that. Yeah. He was a really, really good athlete. I think he might have been a little high some of the time. It's just a guess, but did you now? Do you, you have firsthand knowledge of that, or are you, are you talking about the packages he got in the minors? And I f- I got friends who played for that team. Yeah, yeah. I got lots of friends. Bob who Ryan for that wrote team. that actually after yeah. he got busted when he was in Scranton or whatever I think it was. Every single one of those guys got high and drunk and shit. It was 1978. Yep. You got Eck and uh, Remy talking on the broadcast last year about Studio 54. I mean, if Remy was there, everybody was. Oh yeah, and Eck, you know, Eck was a back then was a was a wild, was a wild man, and Bill Lee, you know, he he had nothing going on. Um, you know, Louis Louis T. I told me he goes. One time in a hotel, I walk into the fucking hotel in Texas, in Texas, 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 how you say Texas, and I smell a marijuana in the hallway. <laughs> and I knock on the fucking door, and I open it up. There's the entire pitching staff, except me. I don't smoke that shit. The entire pitching staff in a smoking pot. The whole staff. <laughs> and they didn't ask Louie because they knew we didn't smoke this shit. I'm going through the names, and it's yes, yes, Willoughby. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I had dinner once with Ferguson Jenkins and Billy. He, Fergie Jenkins has some fabulous stories. Did you like him when he was here? 
Uh, yeah, I, you know, he didn't stay long enough, and he's just he's wonderful. Yeah, I like any guy who can go out and complete thirty starts in one season for the nineteen seventy one Cy Young Award. Thirty, he completed thirty games. Ben, you're looking at me like I'm high on something. You are. <laughs> That's why I'm looking at you this way. <laughs> Unbelievable. I like people who finish what they start. You know, Louis Tia completed 38% of his lifetime starts. 38%. He could still give you a good five. 49 shutouts for Tia. Should be in the Hall of Fame. So you know where my heart lies when it comes to the, uh, uh, the Boston Red Sox. Let's talk more about these radio guys. All right. I'll throw, throw another name out. Mark Bertrand. Beetle? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a tough one because I don't really know him that well. You know? Okay. It's uh, when you listen. What do you I, think? I, th- I think that this show is the most stable as it's been since it started with him, rather than uh, Gresh or Gary Tangway. Yeah, I don't certainly. know how high of a compliment that is. I think there's a lot less to hate about much. him than almost anybody in the, on the air in this market. Like, yeah, I, I don't know him, but I don't. When I listen to him, I don't. Nothing sticks out as like, oh, I hate that. Yeah, you know. But at the same time, nothing sticks out and go. I really like that. I liked him when he was with Felger and Mass. I thought he was much better in that role. Yeah. He was a good antagonist. He would challenge. He, and he, it was a limited role. He was really good in that situation. It was, it was kind of like when Pete Shepard knew his role on the big show, mm-hmm. and it was a limited situation. It was a good character on the show. I, I was just in Fort Myers, and I turn on my rental car radio, and Pete Shepard commercial is on there. A commercial? Yeah. For the, him and the guys. He's on ESPN. In yeah, Fort I know that. I, I love Pete. All they do is talk Boston sports, and he's worse than ever. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> just the stammering and uh, oh, 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 oh. Well, as long as he doesn't talk about college football, he's probably all right. I love him. Uh, yeah, well, he's, he's, he's very, very entertaining uh, on and off the air. Yeah, especially when you're doing uh, much more entertaining off the air. He yeah. used to call me up and leave voicemails that were screamed at the top of his lungs. This was right before he quit on the air. Yeah. No, that but, uh, was John Dennis to Ryan Russillo. Oh, you're yeah. stealing other people's stories again, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you were down in Florida because you were taking over some of the duties of the late and great Nick Cafardo. That must have been a kind of a dual-edged sword for you because the sadness of it not being Nick down there doing his job was one thing, but the duty is, is is fine, but you're replacing a guy who everybody loved. Yeah, it was eerie. I mean, I was down there for a week, and I you know, I did beat coverage for two days just to help out our guy, uh, Alex Spear and Pete Abraham down there. And, uh, you know, the players are, I mean, they're still upset about it. You know, uh, Mookie Betts, I was talking to him for a story I was working on for our baseball section, probably something Nick would have been doing. Yep. And uh, after we were done, Mookie was like, listen, I, I just want to say every time I see one of you guys, I'm reminded of Nick. And, uh, you know, if you, I hope you have somebody to talk to about it. And I was like, geez, you wow. know, he doesn't know me. I've talked to him once before. But I was just like, it's still on the mind of this guy who was the MVP last year. Yeah. And Obviously, it's it's it still matters down there. And give him credit for realizing how esteemed Nick Cafardo was amongst his peers. Yeah, I mean it was all genuine. You you know you yep. knew him. He was just a really good guy. Whether you thought he was a great baseball writer or not, and most people did. Yep. His peers really had a lot of respect for him. Um, you liked him as a human being, and he probably did something really nice for you at some point. That was just the kind of person he was. It was all every you know people die. They always say good things about him usually, but it was all genuine about Nick. I I like people generally who love baseball as much as I do, and there's no question Nick was one of those people. Uh, there's, in fact, in my whole lifetime of watching and covering baseball, 
there's only been a handful of people who I really hated, and they weren't people covering the game. <laughs> they were people who played the game. I had an issue with Billy Martin in the Yankee dug- in the Yankee locker room. Do you remember when he, he was a calm figure? I don't know. He had an he, issue with him. He well, remember when he punched that candy salesman or something in the mouth or whatever? Do you remember that? Yeah. Is that the last time he was fired? Uh, it was. It was probably eighty. 86, 87, somewhere in there. Yeah, probably the last time, yeah. Yeah. He um, well, he was a dick, you know, uh, Billy Martin was. And I'm in there, and he, he had gone out to the mound, and because Oil Can Boyd was wearing gold chains, and he was claiming that it was distracting the hitters, and the umpires made Oil Can, who was pitching a shutout through three or four at the time, made him take off the chains, and then Oil Can just blew up. He got It got to him, and he gave up a bunch of runs, and... The Yankees went ahead and they won the game. So now I'm working for Channel 3 in Hartford. I go down to the Yankee locker room. I, Billy Martin's sitting there, and he had his lawyer with him <laughs> because he had just <laughs> punched out that guy like two nights before in a bar. So I said to him, I, I tried to be clever with Billy. I said, Billy, what would you do, kind of yank oil cans chain a little bit there, huh? And I put the mic in front of him. He goes, <clears throat> he goes, we won this game with our bats. He says, we won. And he started yelling at me like, you know, six inches from my face, like, you Fuck got those you. dead black eyes going. I just asked you a question there, fuckface. And he's screaming at me. So I said to the camera guy, I go, let's get out of here. I just walked away. I was like, that's disgusting. Uh, the other guy was Reggie Jackson. Coincidentally, another Yankee. Walking out of the stadium one time, and this gentleman, well, this is, this is not when he was playing. He was doing play-by-play. So he had his briefcase and his overcoat, and he's walking out. And all. This guy had been waiting outside Fenway for an hour or something, and he was a white-haired old man, and... Excuse me, Mr. Jackson, my son's a really big fan of yours. Would you would you mind signing this for him, please? Totally polite. Reggie doesn't look at him. <sighs> big sigh. Puts down the briefcase. Without looking at the guy, puts his hand out, takes the thing, signs it. Again, without looking at him. And then walks away. And I'm with a guy, a friend of mine from ESPN, five feet behind him. And I, I couldn't help myself. I said... Who'd want that fucking asshole's autograph? And I said it loud enough for him to hear, and I was hoping he'd smack me in the face or something, you know. <laughs> no such luck. But, you know, when you're a major league ball player or anybody, really, who's famous, an actor or whatever, you have to be comfortable enough in your own skin to know this is part of the gig. And at least have an act where you say, hey, okay, there you go, Sonny, you know, whatever. Try to be civil because people never, ever forget when you're not civil. Well, at, at uh, spring training last week, um, everybody was out watching Evaldi and Chris Sale throw on, I think it was Wednesday, first time throwing a batters, you know, all the single-A kids. And Pedro was there watching. And so there's a group of probably about 30 fans. The play, You know, Sale hops a golf cart and beats it the hell out of there. David Price plays deaf, walking by. And then Pedro comes over and signs for 20 minutes. And, you know, he's bragging about being the guy who signed the most autographs that spring, talking yeah. to everybody. Sweetheart of a guy. And, you're, that, I mean, this is arguably the best pitcher in modern baseball history anyway, yep. at least for a, a short short stretch. He, he of enjoys trip. being Pedro. Yeah. And the, I was thinking <laughs> these young guys should be looking at him and saying, this is how you do it. You know how many friggin' autographs he's probably signed when he hasn't wanted to? Oh, my God. You know? Well, that's, what, that's, that's the Bobby Orr trademark, too, is that. Bobby Orr signed a million more autographs than he needed to or, you know, uh, would ever expect of him uh, because he's Bobby Orr. You know, I'm at a, a hockey thing. My son's there, and he's signing autographs for everybody, you know, and he's got a line out the door. Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr, little posters. And I get up there, and I'm standing behind my 8-year-old son, 
And he's, he looks at me. He just looks at the look on my face. I'm standing there all beaming because it's Bobby Orr, for Christ's sake. He looks at me and he says to my son, he goes, does your dad want one too? <laughs> Doesn't make an asshole out of me. He just does, he looks at me. I nod my head. He's like, you know, that's Bobby Orr, you know? Right. And he's signed a million of them, and he's never been an asshole to anyone. He always looks happy to be wherever he is. Yep. You know, whether he, he, was, he was at the Mets-Sox game down there, and he's just, you know, bullshitting with – you know, Cora and whoever, and yeah. having a great time. What a great thing to be Bobby Orr and always be happy with where you are. That's right. I would be too, though, I think. It's a beautiful thing. I can't relate. Well, I, you know, I've been at some bars where no matter who you are, you're not going to be happy you're there. <laughs> we've, we've all done that. But if you can get rid of the person you're with, usually that solves the problem. You know, dump them <laughs> off somewhere. Uh, Chad Finn, he's a columnist for the Globe, bostonglobe.com. He's at Chad Finn. On Twitter, and I'm telling you, he's a good goddamn follow. I follow you because you're you. Like I said, you think about it a little bit, and uh, it's always interesting stuff. Uh, keep the good stuff coming. Thanks, man. Don't worry about any of these thin-skinned dicks that work in the radio <laughs> business. They're, I'm gonna change that to my Twitter bio. The thin-skinned dicks—they'll never get you. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, man.